We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated over on Fan Nation. We have a special episode of the podcast for you today, Thursday, February 17th, coming to you live from beautiful but cold today, I might add, Eugene, Oregon. Uh, I'm Max Torres, as I said, and on the other end is Dylan Rubin King. He's a reporter for us at Ducks Digest. How we doing, Rube? I'm doing great, man. It's been a it's been a really hectic week battling both, you know, Ducks Digest stuff and the transfer portal. Um, you know, kind of a dead week for for college football stuff though, which is really interesting. But uh, you know, college basketball is underway. It's ramping up in the middle of February. So super exciting time. Everybody's starting to kind of get into college basketball now. If you weren't paying attention before, this seems like the time everybody gets into it. Absolutely, man. Well, it's not quite a, a dead, you know, time for college football news as we will uh, kick off the podcast here doing uh, something a little bit different um, with, with this episode for you guys listening on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts or if you're tuned in on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Taurus. Um, we are doing kind of a, a mash of headlines. So kind of hitting on some some Oregon centric headlines across football, basketball, uh, and then some, uh, also some Pac-12 news. So hang in there with us as we uh, kind of work this out. But uh, it's an idea that Dylan and I are pretty excited about. So with that being said, let's hit into our uh, first topic of the day. Dan Lanning looks like he has made uh, a new addition to his coaching staff uh, in Greg Jones, uh, former uh, Liberty North High School coach out in the uh, Kansas City suburbs. And um, it's it's an interesting hire for sure, just because of the timing uh, of it all. Um, but it also makes sense considering that Lanning is a Missouri native, as we all know. Um, got uh, got Jones's uh, Twitter pulled up here on my screen, so I just want to read his uh, his thank you note. Thank you, North Nation, for allowing me to be your head football coach for the past five years. I got to work with some of the best coaches, teachers, and administration administrators while coaching some awesome kids every day. It is time for me to move on to the next chapter of my life. My family and I are excited to be heading to the University of Oregon to be part of the Ducks football staff. Hashtag War Eagle. Hashtag Go Ducks. What do we What do we think of this one, uh, Dylan? I know it's it's not someone that we know too much about, um, but I think uh, you know if you're able to get a guy like this out in Missouri, um, I think that it's uh, it's it's overall a good move. 
well, Dan Lanning's got connections out there, um, you know, as he grew up in the, I believe, the North Kansas City area. Um, and, and Jones has been one of the best head coaches of the last five years at Liberty North. Um, you know, I got a little bit of intel from uh, a colleague of mine, Mitchell Riverall. He works at K2, uh, KQ2 Sports out in uh, the Kansas City area. Um, said, from what I'm hearing around KC, this is a really good coach to get. Said, uh, you know, the past year they went 11 and two, year before nine and three, year before that 11 and one. So sustained success as a head coach. And it's always nice to have that, you know, that coach that has that head coaching experience. Um, you know, I know a lot of people were talking about that as kind of a slack towards this new head coach uh, or this new coaching staff, rather, that they don't have a whole lot of head coaching experience compared to the last one. And albeit it is at the high school ranks, there's still you know, something to be said about being able to manage a team for the last five years and and be able to, you know, contain that success. And from what I read, I believe he was a, uh, you know, last season they finished class six state runner up um, in the 2021 season. So it's nice to have that connection to the Missouri area, because I believe with Dan Lanning's connection, um, I feel like the Midwest is, is a really key place for for recruiting for Oregon. Glad you brought up recruiting there, Dylan, because I feel like that is kind of one of the big picture uh, benefits that I see for for uh, the Ducks when with Lanning uh, making this move. It's it's worth noting that this hire hasn't been officially confirmed or announced by the university, but um, you know, with with uh, Jones going on social media to talk about it, and I think I saw some local outlets out there doing a story on it. Um, it looks like it's pretty fair to say that it's going to happen, but just wanted to put that disclaimer out there. But as far as the recruiting impact, um, Dylan, we're seeing the Ducks make a push into Missouri, um, you know, more recently on the recruiting trail. Everyone knows about Kevin Coleman uh, out of St. Louis. Uh, he was, you know, really heavily considering the Ducks, got out here for a visit. I thought they were in a great spot until, uh, you know, the coaching transition happened. He ended up going to Jackson State, which – I wouldn't say shocked a lot of people. I mean, they kind of emerged late, I would say. It didn't shock people the way I think that Travis Hunter's commitment did, but still a huge get for for Jackson State regardless. So I think the Ducks are starting to push into Missouri a little bit more um, lately. And then I know another guy that I I talked to out of um, the St. Louis area is 2024 wide receiver Ryan Wingo. And um, he's definitely excited to to get out to Oregon. And it seems like it's another fertile recruiting ground for the, the Ducks to push into. Well, yeah, I mean, just setting setting, you know, boots on the ground in any area in the country because they've got it pretty much set up in the Pacific Northwest. You'll think that they'll get it figured out in California. Um, Not so much lately, but I think that's going to be a spot that they'll prioritize in the future. And then obviously in the south with all the SEC connections they have, I think they're kind of set there. So the Midwest is a really interesting spot just because there's there's a lot of talent that I feel like kind of goes underlooked because of everybody in California and Texas and and in the southeast area so then the you know in the missouri area we saw it a couple of weeks ago they they offered a few guys i forget which which high school it was but they offered a few guys from the same school so you could you know you could tell that they were going after guys from that area dan lanning being from the area definitely helps so having that hometown connection with with dan lanning is is really neat to have you can never have too many uh, connections in this uh, recruiting industry uh, it's all about relationships, as we know. So uh, Lanning going back into his home state of Missouri to uh, try to strengthen Oregon's presence there. Um, we don't know what role uh, Greg Jones is going to have at Oregon just yet, but you figure kind of with the timing, it's maybe like an analyst role or uh, quality control kind of a deal maybe. Um, that's just speculation. But, yeah, with the timing, we're, we're going to have to see what, uh, you know, what he ultimately get, what title he ultimately gets. 
um, wanted to start that one off, start that the show off with a, with that story, just cause it's uh, you know, duck football focused. Any other notes to, to add there, Dylan? Well, I'm just excited that they, they now have a, uh, you know, a former head coach. I, I think that's a really good uh, pickup, a really good mind to have. Um, and, you know, having that sustained success, winning nine games, 11 games, being a, you know, a runner up in their, in their respective class, um, you know, that'll help Dan Lanning, I'm sure. I mean, it's a totally different game being a high school head coach than, you know, head coach of the Oregon Ducks, but um, there's just not a lot of head coaching experience and people that have managed a coaching staff, managed a team like that. So, um, and I would, I would imagine this is kind of speculation too, but I would imagine that they probably go back, um, you know, being from the same area. I, I bet he knows Dan Lanning knows Greg Jones pretty well. So I, I kind of trust his, his, you know, judgment here with, with this hire because taken from the high school ranks, um, you know, is, is something that we haven't seen yet with this, with this coaching staff. So you know, maybe it's a risk. I'm not really sure. But if it's something in the analyst role, it can never hurt to add another mind like that. Absolutely. All right. So that's our, our first story today. And moving on to our next story, uh, Pac-12 focused. Uh, it is reported by uh, sundevilsource.com that Arizona State quarterback Jaden Daniels intends to enter the transfer portal. Um, you know, things are obviously pretty wild out there in Tempe right now with uh, a lot of coaching departures uh, i think antonio pierce is probably one of the biggest names that that uh is kind of in that same headline uh, i believe he's looking for an nfl job if he didn't already land one but uh you know all that going on the coaching staff departures uh in the midst of the ncaa uh investigation it's uh certainly not looking too great uh right now out in tempe um if if daniels does uh indeed end up entering the transfer portal hasn't done so yet but multiple reports coming out, uh, the one from sundevilsource.com that I referenced, and then I believe The Athletic also reported it. So looks like it is uh, going to happen here um, you know, pretty shortly. What do you make of that, Dylan? So just to confirm, uh, Chris Hummer of 247 Sports tweeted 43 minutes ago as of 12.18 today that um, Jane Daniels has officially entered the transfer portal, um, according to one of their sources. So it seems like that is all set in stone. Okay. Um, yeah, so I think the the Arizona situation just got even tougher because Jaden Daniels was one of those guys who, you know, was going to bring a little bit of stability to that team next year, given, like you said, so many coaching changes, a lot of guys entering the transfer portal. Um, and I think Jaden Daniels was that guy that they still could fall back on because it doesn't feel like he's reached his peak. But the last two years have just not really seen the kind of development that, you know, we were hoping for a lot of people were hoping for after that 2019 year where um, he looked like he was the future of that program and that um, Arizona state football team was going to be, you know, running the PAC 12 South for the next couple of years. You saw him after that win over Oregon, Jaden Daniels looked like, you know, within the next year or so, he's going to be the best quarterback in the PAC 12. And we just haven't seen that. Um, and so now I feel like they're kind of in scrambling mode, trying to figure out who their quarterback's going to be the coaching staff situation, I believe they're probably still under investigation um, for some of those, you know, um, some of the things that have been going on throughout the off season. And so, you know, now with Jaden Daniels gone, you have to, it, it almost feels like a rebuild for Herm Edwards over there because last season was a real disappointment. I mean, you, you make it to a bowl game, but the way they were winning football games um, was just not a way that you can sustain. I mean, they were playing sloppy football, um, even with all the talent they had. I mean, penalties upon penalties, just fundamental mistakes, really bad turnovers. Um, you know, you just can't win football like that. I think they were the most penalized team in the country, um, if not the power five. 
last year. Um, so, you know, I felt like something had to change. I didn't feel like Herm Edwards was going to be the guy to probably get the ax, but the, the, pretty much everybody else did. And now Jaden Daniels is, um, you know, looking for a new home. So it's really interesting time in Tempe. And I'm interested to see if they jump into the transfer portal to, to try to get a veteran, um, maybe JT Daniels, another Daniels. Um, maybe that's an option because he's really one of the last guys with, you know, power five experience and, you know, particularly Pac-12 experience that they could go after. That's a good name to watch, Dylan. I like what you mentioned about uh, the 2019 season. Obviously, for, for Oregon fans listening to this podcast, uh, when they think about that ASU game, it'll rub them the wrong way. Um, but that was Daniels' uh, true freshman season. And um, I think just it gave us kind of a snapshot of what, you know, ASU could be uh, under Daniels um, with, with how well he operated as a freshman. Definitely, I think, you know, after that asserted himself as one of the top signal callers uh, in, in the pack. But uh, in 2021, he uh, played 13 games, um, was 197 for 301 um, for 2,381 passing yards, 10 interceptions and 10 touchdowns. And then uh, on the ground, because he is a very mobile quarterback, um, he had, uh, let's see here. Sorry, let me find these stats. 138 carries for 710 rushing yards and six touchdowns, averaging 54.6 rushing yards a game. So kind of giving you a little bit more context into uh, the production that, uh, you know, ASU could potentially be without. Um, you know, like you mentioned with Hummer saying it's official, um, but kind of just wait until it's officially official, as we tweeted like a million times throughout the uh, the offseason when, when uh, the Ducks were filling out their coaching staff. But I think, you know, just some other tidbits on Arizona State. I think they have a, a pretty good, uh, you know, encouraging rushing attack. And uh, Daniel Ngata is a, a guy that is, I think a lot of people out there are, are encouraged by. LV Bunkley Shelton is another guy um, that I think – I know Oregon was after for a while coming out of high school. So that's a, it's, it's gonna, it's certainly a big loss, you know, the the face of the offense. Uh, But it's, it just adds to what's been a pretty crazy off season as far as PAC 12 quarterback movement, Dylan. Yeah. I mean, it's really exciting to watch with, you know, just starting quarterbacks really moving from, from school to school. We saw Bo Nix go to Oregon. I feel like that kind of kicked things off. Keaton Slovis going to Pittsburgh, and then Jackson Dart going to Ole Miss. You thought maybe USC would get one of those quarterbacks back with the Lincoln-Riley era, and then they both go on, and it looks like they're going to be starters replacing some NFL quarterbacks. And then USC gets Caleb Williams, probably the the headliner of them all. Washington gets Michael Penix, a guy who had a really good 2020 year, banged up in 2021, but still a lot of promise there. Um, One of the sleepers, I think, Jaden Delora going to Arizona. We've talked about it a little bit on the pod with with Arizona and the success that they've had in the transfer portal and in recruiting. I feel like Jaden Delora having those two year and a half of experience, um, you know, really gives them kind of an edge that they haven't had before. And so this movement, I mean, it's just it's going to be kind of a new look for the Pac-12 with all these transfer quarterbacks that are going to be most likely starting. Um, and, and I feel like Arizona State is going to be in that list. I feel like they're going to bring in a transfer quarterback. I think it's you know, I, I'm not sure who else they have behind Jaden Daniels because um, I know Paul Tyson is an Alabama transfer, transferred, I believe, last month um, to Arizona State. So um, I, I'm not sure if he's a guy that they feel comfortable starting, but maybe they, they try to get, you know, a JT Daniels or another guy with starting experience. 
So, yeah, the transfer portal's taken over the Pac-12, the starting quarterbacks. The, all the movement's been absolutely nuts to watch. Uh, I think the one that I'm probably the most intrigued about uh, would definitely be Delora going to uh, Arizona. Um, I feel like I was talking to my roommates last night. I'm like, you know, I feel like if there's a fringe bet or like a futures bet that I could take, I would, I would want to put it on, um, you know, put it on uh, Arizona just next year. Cause I'm so intrigued about the additions that they've made. Obviously Delora was a uh, really, really talented young quarterback uh, during his time at Washington state um, showed that he wasn't scared of the big moments, uh, even, you know, being a younger guy. And then some of the additions that Arizona made uh, over the off season, you know, you look at Tetairo McMillan, the, the former Oregon commit, that was definitely one of the, the biggest losses in this 2022 cycle. And then you have Rayshon Luke out of uh, St. John Bosco in Southern California, uh, who I believe was named uh, Under Armour or Adidas All-American Bowl MVP. If, uh, if I, uh, if that's correct, I'm pretty sure it is uh, just from what I watched. And then Kian Burnett also from Servite, you know, they got the, uh, I was going to say, is it a quartet? I think of, of Servite guys. Cause I remember when I went out there, so they have Kian Burnett, Tetero McMillan, Noah Fafita, the quarterback, and then Jacob Manu, the, the linebacker. So um, you look at all those additions and it's really encouraging. And then they also got, um, excuse me. They also got Jacob Cowing, who I know that Oregon was looking at for a while. So, they're, they're doing – I'm not saying, like, I'm expecting a monster season from them by any means, but I think they're definitely going to surprise some people next year. Yeah, I mean, they won one game last year. I think – I don't remember what the losing streak was, but it was a long losing streak in Tucson, um, stretching from a couple years because they went winless in 2020 um, and then lost a good chunk of the of the games in 2021. But, man, if, if there's a team that can really flip it around and kind of pull – I wouldn't go as far as saying what Baylor did going from two and seven to big 12 champs, sugar bowl champs. I feel like Arizona could be a team that maybe wins. I would say max eight games just because the PAC 12 is crazy. You never know. You know, it's kind of one of the survival uh, of the fittest things. They have a lot of new pieces. So it's, it's hard to expect a team with that many new pieces, especially starting that, um, you know, they would pull off a, a comeback season like that, but I mean, their their schedule is kind of favorable if if the talent adds up um, on paper. And, and Jed Fish is a really good coach. Um, I know it may not look like it after after the year they had last year, but the job that he's done rebuilding this program, going from one and eleven to you know the roster they have now, is really impressive. Yeah. So Oregon is uh, scheduled to face uh, Arizona next season, the twenty twenty two season, on uh, Saturday, October eighth, in Tucson. So that's a matchup that we know is going to happen. Ducks aren't supposed to play Arizona State next year unless uh, Arizona State and the Ducks were to meet in the Pac-12 championship game. But one final note that I kind of want to add here that came to mind, uh, Dylan, before we move on to our next story, is that um, I think just because you have these transfer quarterbacks coming in with some experience, I mean, it's it's not a guarantee that they're going to be successful, right? I think definitely you see the uh, allure, I guess, of, of bringing in some, some good uh, talent um, from the transfer portal, from, you know, the, the power five level. But I think there's something to be said about having continuity uh, in a program. I think that definitely helps a lot. Maybe when you look at a, uh, at a place like in Arizona that, uh, you know, is, is bring, has some people who've played a lot of football last year because they had, you know, multiple quarterbacks that I think played like five or six games last year. I know we saw multiple guys when they were uh, here playing Oregon. Um but I, I don't know, just some, something to throw out there that I think is is kind of 
worth worth keeping in mind as we as we kind of look towards what these rosters will uh, ultimately look like uh, as we get into spring ball, you know, in the next month or so. Yeah, when you bring in a new star quarterback, you definitely want to help build around him. And I feel like Arizona's done a really good job of that. Um, I feel like the offensive line might be a little suspect, but I feel like the, you know, the skill position players are as good as they've had in, you know, quite some time, even going back to, you know, 2013, 2014, when you were in the, uh, in the Pac-12 championship game. And so, um, you know, and the defense, I feel like has a lot of talent, a lot of really young talent for Arizona. Um, you know, I, I say that with quarterbacks needing to be built around just because USC um, I, I feel like they loaded up on skill position players and they have a lot of holes still left in their, on their roster. And I think that, you know, they shouldn't be done yet just because they added so many guys who, you know, can catch the ball and run the ball. Um, you know, they need guys that can block and defend too. So it's really important to build guys around your, your shiny new quarterback. And I feel like Arizona's done a pretty good job of that. No doubt. No doubt. All right. Moving right along. Uh, transitioning over from some football news. Obviously, got to start the pot off with that because that's you know kind of what people like talking about the most, I feel like. But we are in basketball season, and Dane Altman and the Ducks added a new commitment on Wednesday in uh, Northwest Florida State uh, guard Brennan Rigsby um, out there in Florida. Like I just said, he's a, a guard. He's a freshman listed at 6'3", 180 pounds on um, – Northwest Florida State's official roster. Um, I think this is a, a solid pickup for for uh, the Ducks. But um, one cool thing about going to a lot of these games recently, I think uh, up until after I got through the Monday game against Washington State, I'd covered a game, an Oregon Hoops game, for five straight days. I was in Corvallis last Friday. Uh, I was at the Stanford game, the Cal disappointment, and then um, the uh, – Oregon State women's game as well. So that was really fun. But I bring that up because I got to meet uh, one of my homies. I've kind of gotten to meet uh, covering these games is Michael Vissenberg. Hopefully I'm saying his last name right. Michael Vissenberg of Pro Insight. And um, I was just kind of talking to him about uh, this commitment. And, and he was actually able to, to hook me up with some some thoughts on kind of what he thought about this addition for Oregon and uh, Brennan Rigsby. So I'm just going to read off some of his notes and then we can kind of continue talking about the impact uh, that um, – that you know Rigsby could have once he gets to Eugene. So this is from Michael. He says, good shooter with range, mostly works off of the ball as a catch-and-shoot guy, works well as a secondary playmaker, really bouncy, creative finisher at the hoop, works well in transition, will work well going downhill off of a pass, is all right with the ball in his hands, can dribble through not, not at his best uh, running the team's offense, more of a scorer, so maybe a little bit more of a supporting role it sounds like there. Playing for one of the top-ranked JUCOs comes off the bench and gives a good scoring punch. Uh, should bring good energy and plays with confidence and swagger. Six foot three, as we said before, with a six four and a half wingspan, has some real vertical pop, which we can see. You know, I think that's what I was seeing like all day yesterday when I was seeing new, new tweets and, and videos about uh, Rigsby. Is that he's super bouncy? Uh, so some real vertical pop. Someone who can definitely finish above the rim at times has close to a forty-inch vertical. So, I mean. Not a not um a bad addition at all for the Ducks. You know, definitely uh, lots of reason to find encouragement in that evaluation from from Michael. Um, super athletic and and seeing that he can finish at the hoop, but uh, it sounds like he may not be an instant impact or you know instant starter kind of guy as we might be expecting with uh, some of the twenty other twenty twenty two commits that the Ducks have and uh, Kalel Ware and Dior Johnson. 
It's funny. You texted me yesterday saying, oh, Oregon just landed a, a hoops guy, a, a Juco guy. And I was like, I, in my head, as I was looking for it, I'm like, I, I would bet money. He's from Northwest Florida State College. And, and sure as heck, he was, uh, that's exactly where he's from. Um, Dana Altman has just created the weirdest pipeline known to college sports. I swear from Northwest Florida State College uh, to the University of Oregon and Eugene. Um, you know, he's, he got Chris Duarte, he got Elgin Cook from there, both NBA players. Um, you know, Elgin Cook, I believe, is bouncing around the G League now, if I'm not mistaken. But Chris Duarte having a solid rookie year with the Indiana Pacers lottery pick. Um, and so I feel like Dana Altman just knows what he's doing with the Juco ranks. You know, he's he's picked up a lot of guys across the country over the years. Most recently, Rivaldo Suarez, one of the top ranked Juco players um, last year. You get Chris Boucher, Dwayne Benjamin. I mean, they've just done, I think Cavell Bigby Williams was another one, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they've just picked up a lot of guys who have made impacts um, over the years with, um, you know, from the Juco ranks, which I don't feel like a lot of major programs really do that consistently. And he just seems to find these gems. And Brandon Rigsby, like you said, might not be that instant impact guy who who's going to come in and, and bring that pop. Um, you know, maybe they kind of ease them in because next year, next year, the depth is going to be interesting as we'll probably talk about just, you know, who's going to return, who's going to come back, you know, never know what's going to happen with the transfer portal. Um, you know, just, you, you never really can tell anymore with how a roster could look next season. But I feel like he's one of those guys that could be maybe like an eighth, ninth guy off the bench, um, you know, provide a, a, a couple buckets, you know, like you said, not a guy that's probably going to control an offense um you know I, I really like his potential as a as a shooter off the bench i feel like you can never have too many good shooters and i i really like the fact that he's athletic and can finish i do feel like that's one of the weaknesses oregon has with their backcourt is you've seen a lot of times where you know they just kind of get those point blank finishes jacob young davion Harmon, will richardson even um they kind of get close to the basket and they you know they can't finish um all the time at, at the rate you'd like to see and so having guys that are able to finish in traffic, finish creatively, um, you know, can kind of adjust, contort their body. And I think Rigsby is a really good fit for for that and, you know, to bring kind of that swagger, the confidence, the energy. You never really can have too much of that either. And I feel like this Oregon team is already kind of loaded with that. Frank Kepnong at the at the top of that list for sure. Oh, man, I love watching, watching Frank play. Um, he, he seems like he can uh, get a little bit uh... – I don't want to say out of control, but, you know, sometimes that energy costs him with some fouls, um, which, you know, is, is kind of a bummer. But when he's blocking shots and, uh, you know, getting active in the post, it's it's real fun to watch. Um, kind of the last point I wanted to hit on here that you already alluded to with uh, the addition of Rigsby is, is what the outlook kind of looks like, right, as far as the, the roster that Oregon is uh, poised to have next year. Um, Rigsby comes to Eugene once he gets here with uh, three years of eligibility. Uh, and we know that the Oregon's going to lose at least three players from this 2022 roster and uh, Jacob Young, Will Richardson and um, Eric Williams Jr. as well with uh, all of those guys being uh, redshirt seniors. So um looks like they're or sorry, seniors of some capacity, whether it be redshirt or just a, a straight up senior, um, just double checking here um, on the website. So yeah, that's that's uh that's kind of what we know Oregon's gonna lose next year. You talked about the the shooting; you can never have too many shooters, which it kind of feels like Oregon's lacking a little bit right now. Um, but we can talk about in in the next segment. But um, yeah, I mean, just 
it's another dynamic athlete coming to play for Dana Altman, which is uh, kind of, I feel like, uh, a common thread in, in all the guards that he he's kind of added in recent years. Yeah, I think beyond Dior Johnson, um, you know, I'm not really sure what you have with the guards. I feel like Rivaldo Suarez is one of those guys. Uh, Devion Harmon, I think, has one more year, if I'm not mistaken, of eligibility. Um, but maybe he tests the NBA draft waters. Um, and so beyond Dior Johnson, I mean, the backcourt looks pretty pretty bare. So I think it's nice to, to pick up a guy who, you know, has a bit of versatility. Um, I think he'd probably like him as a true two. Um, I don't think he's big enough to play the three and it doesn't seem like he's um, as comfortable with the ball in his hands as, as you'd want in a point, but I really like his, you know, the pick and pop kind of stuff. I like to be able to, um, you know, you like guys that can catch and shoot. Um, Dewar Johnson's one of those guys that can just, you know, he'll draw in defenders and, you know, he can kick it out to the open man and Brendan Rigsby sounds like a really good fit with him. Dana Altman working to get the ducks to the NCAA tournament. And also at the same time, working to build his roster for the future in uh, the 2022 season. We're going to be talking about more Oregon men's basketball on the other side of the break as the Ducks get ready to head to the desert. And that'll be coming up right after the ad break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. All right, we are back, and the Ducks are headed to the desert, as I said, on the other side. Ducks headed to Tempe to kick off a road trip in Arizona, where they'll face Arizona State on Thursday. Ducks coming off a win on Monday earlier this week over Washington State in uh, a game that was a little bit too close for comfort, to say the least, Dylan. Ducks built a uh, nine-point lead. Uh, going into that final minute at Matthew Knight Arena after Will Richardson knocked down a three and then some sloppy ball handling um, resulted in six points in just 14 seconds for the Cougs. So that game obviously didn't end how they wanted it to. Feels like Will Richardson ha- has uh, been hitting a, a bit of a tough stretch for the Ducks of late. And, you know, I think that's the, the best player on the team for Oregon and, and certainly the best shooter. So 
hopefully, if you're the Ducks, you're, you're hoping that he can kind of get back in stride here uh, as you head into this game on Thursday. It felt like watching the end of that Washington State game. It was really similar to that UCLA near collapse in regular um, in regulation with just the inbounding issues and, you know, uh, giving up quick baskets. I mean, Michael Flowers almost had a third three in the last minute to, to send the game to overtime. And then Noah Williams had a look. I'm not sure. I think he got it off, but um, wasn't really close at the buzzer. So, yeah, way too close to comfort. Um, Washington State is a is a solid team, probably from the outside looking in in the tournament ranks, though. Um, I, I think Oregon desperately needed a win. Not like it would really boost their resume so much, beating Washington State at home. But losing would have been way worse than it would have been good. Um, and so it's nice to have you know a win to bounce back from what was the disappointing Cal game. But Will Richardson, speaking to his struggles, they desperately need him to, to step up because it just seems like it's kind of been a revolving door of, of who's the number one um, scorer for the backcourt with Harmon, Young, Richardson. It feels like if one guy is playing well, maybe the other two are, are struggling a little bit. Um, you know, it, it seems like one of those three every game seems to have a, a poor shooting night the last few games, and they just can't afford that. I'm not saying everybody has to shoot 50% every night, but you'd like to have some consistency and, and guys step up when it matters the most. And Will Richardson, I, I definitely think, needs it. Um, and I, th- I think a big part of that, I think the outlier was kind of the second half of the Cal game, just because nobody else was really contributing. He scored 20 points in the, in the second half alone after scoring two in the first. It's just, I think the offense is starting to kind of roll back into what it was doing earlier in the year when they were, when they were falling short and kind of getting rocked by, you know, BYU and Houston and St. Mary's. It's just, it's, it's kind of lacking in player movement and you're seeing just a lot of this ISO ball and Will Richardson's had to do a lot of that. And you're not always going to, you know, get those shots if you're just stepping back and, and hoisting threes. Um, you know, I just feel like there needs to be a lot more flow, especially when you play against the Arizona's and, and Tucson, when you play against Washington and Seattle, those are two really good defensive teams. And, you know, Will Richardson's going to have to be his best if, you know, if, if they are wanting to go in there and win to boost their resume and get into the tournament. Taking a look here at uh, Will Richardson's last five games. Um, let's go back to the win at Colorado. That was huge for the Ducks. First time winning in Boulder since Colorado joined the program, the conference rather. Uh, Richardson finished with 13 points on 6 of 12 shooting. Uh, and then continuing that mountain road trip against Utah, 25 points on 10 of 18 shooting. And then Stanford last week, uh, exactly a week ago, finished with just 12 points on 3 of 14 shooting uh, with mo- with uh, five points coming from the free throw line. And then, like you mentioned, that game against Cal, I feel like he was the only one that was doing anything in the second half. I remember I tweeted out something. It was, it was like, I don't know, probably around it was under 10 minutes left in the second half. And he was the only person who had scored for the Ducks. Uh, shooting uh, everything else is kind of coming from the free throw line. And then against Washington state on Monday, just three of seven shooting. And uh, that resulted in seven points. So I remember at the end of the first half, I was kind of looking around to some of my other media buddies and then said, you know, Bill Richardson's only taken one shot in that first half. So they definitely need to get him, get him rolling again. And just, just shooting the ball. It feels like just, you know, get him to put up some more shots and, and hopefully get some more production from him there. Just some more numbers for, for Richardson. Currently ranks number two in the Pac-12 in three-point percentage at 43.4%. And he's fourth in the conference in scoring with 15.4 points. So um, I think that the the potential is obviously there. Uh, and Folly Dante and Frank Kepnong in that game on, on Monday, uh, I feel like they really kind of carried the load. 
uh, for the Ducks on, on both ends, just being physical and, and getting some good scoring in the post. Um, but man, when you go against this Arizona squad on, on Saturday, game day is going to be there. You know the atmosphere of Mikhail is going to be rocking. Uh, Arizona is twenty twenty is twenty two and two overall, uh, twelve and one in the Pac twelve. They destroyed UW in Seattle earlier this week, and then they get Oregon State tonight. Um, so that's kind of the the picture right now for Oregon men's basketball. Yeah, and I think speaking back to Will Richardson, when they've when Oregon has lost um, most of their a lot of their big games that they probably should have had um, home against Colorado, against Houston, against St. Mary's games that would look really good on the resume right now if they had won. Will Richardson has not shot the ball very much, or uh, you know at all, you know shot very well at all because Colorado in that loss he took eight shots against Houston, he took four against St. Mary's, took seven. So. I just feel like you have to get your your best player the ball and, and let him score. But obviously you have to create for him. You can't just let him, you know, dribble for, for 20 seconds and then huck up a shot um, like they were kind of doing against Cal. I mean, he's creative. Let him let him get to the basket because he's as creative, a uh, you know, a shooter as, as they have on their team. But I, I just think that their, their offensive flow needs to get so much better. And it's got to start with this Arizona State team. This Arizona State team is just abysmal. But it's still a Bobby Hurley team. It's still in in Tempe. Uh, you know, it's still in late February. I just feel like the, the Arizona State Sun Devils are going to be one of those teams where they're going to pull off an upset like this and and kind of put a team on the brink. Because um, Oregon, they this is the one game left in their regular season schedule that they cannot afford to lose. I feel like the rest of the way, the, you know, everybody has a better schedule. If you lose to Arizona, you know, I don't feel like it's going to hurt you that much um, just because it's on the road. Number three team in the country. You'd like to get those home games against UCLA and USC. You'd like to get the games in Seattle, but those are a little bit more understanding. Those teams are better in a much better place. Have more. I wouldn't say have more talent. Arizona State has some good talent. It's just I don't know what's wrong with them necessarily. They just can't shoot and can't score. Um, but I, I think that getting that win on the road going into Saturday's game against Arizona is going to give them confidence. But if you lose that game, man, you, I, I feel like it's over for their at large chances, unless they win out. I think that's the only way if they lose to Arizona state, I think they have to win out to, you know, to get an at large bid because, you know, you just can't afford to, to lose a game like that and then stumble against the top teams in the pac 12 either. Another note I wanted to add for, for Oregon basketball is it, it really just feels like this team is, so consistently inconsistent you know they had a, a really good stretch uh you know heading into that cal game which i think made the the loss that much more surprising and then i feel like they have a lot of really talented guys you know super super athletic guys but a lot of the times it just feels like they're not really playing in sync or playing as a team you know it's like if they get off to a rough start it kind of just ends up with looking like kind of like hero ball and you know you have guys doing taking isos settling for terrible looks at times um, you know, especially like you mentioned earlier, like just hoisting threes when you have to. Um, so it seems like they need, you know, hopefully two guys to, to, you know, kind of be shooting more consistently. And then you got to win the the battle down low for sure. One last note on the Arizona state matchup. I was, um, I was, uh, DMing our, uh, Arizona state publisher, Donnie Druin about, uh, tonight, tonight's game, just kind of trying to get some of his, uh, actually, I don't know if he's the publisher, but he, he, he uh, covers Arizona State for SI on all Sun Devils. 
And he says, um, I think Oregon handles ASU. They've just been too streaky this year, and I can't trust them to shoot well on any night. So um, look for Arizona State to lean on DJ Horn. Um, I think that, you know, he's kind of been one of the main guys for the, for the Sun Devils. But um, no doubt this is a, a, another must-win game for, for the Ducks here. Yeah, and I think Jalen Graham is another guy that the the big guys are going to have to worry about. Um, you know, he's kind of a walking double double in a in a team that's just like you said, super inconsistent. He's one of those guys that's been consistently putting up good rebounding numbers, but yeah, it seems like they're a, a team that just when they are struggling to shoot, they're really struggling. So if Oregon can up their defense and force tough shots, they're in a really good spot. But offensively, like we've talked about for you know a good chunk of this section, you know they're they're going to have to they're going to have to shoot the ball well and give the ball in the hands of the best players. All right. Moving on to our very last story here, Dylan. Um, you know, we got just a couple more minutes here on this episode of the pod shifting over to women's basketball uh, on Wednesday afternoon, Oregon women's basketball uh, took care of UCLA final score of 67 to 53 ducks were up by 20 at halftime. Uh, so it kind of felt like, um, you know, they let, they definitely let the Bruins back in this one a little bit and in, in that third quarter, but, we're ultimately able to put the Bruins away uh, on Wednesday in Eugene. Now they're getting set up to welcome Cal and then Stanford to town uh, this weekend. Cal being on Friday, Stanford on Sunday. Um, I feel a lot more confident about this women's team. I feel like they have the men's team. I feel like there there's still some things that they need to work out and that they're looking to kind of hone in on before the tournament, but they're in a much more comfortable spot than the men are as far as, uh, you know, postseason projections go. Yeah, and I think the one one thing that I wanted to um, address, it felt like so many people were saying it. It seemed like UCLA they let them back into it. UCLA is a super tough team. I mean, they've been through a ton this year with injuries and you know COVID stuff. They're starting to get healthy, but even when they only could play like six, seven players, they've just been a tough team to beat. So I wasn't really surprised that UCLA was hanging tough in that game. But I do think it's it's great that Oregon was able to kind of put them away in the last few minutes because I know it got close to like that 10, 11 point range. And then in the last few minutes, they were able to, to put some buckets together and, and put them away. Um, I think the big thing that was really important was that Pow Pow kind of found her stroke a little bit from three, especially the last few games. Since she had that three game streak of 20 plus points, she's only been shooting, I believe, like 36 percent since then. And so she just. I think she was five of 13 overall. So still not the numbers you want to see, but a little bit better. Um, and India Rogers has just been such an underrated um, pickup for Oregon. I mean, she's just been quietly having a phenomenal season, arguably one of her best seasons, um, you know, efficiently. She's, she's shooting the ball really efficient. Um, you know, when she's, when she's on, she is on. Um, Nira Sobley back in the starting lineup, I think is huge. Um, it's still, I think she got banged up again against UCLA. Um, and so I, I hope she's, you know, ready to go against Cal because they're going to need her. Cal's a, Cal's a big team. Yeah. So looking at, at Cal, they're uh, 11 and eight, one and six in the PAC 12 heading into uh Friday's matchup against Oregon in Eugene at Matthew Knight arena. Um, for, for Oregon, I, I really like what I saw out of uh, Niara Sabley. You know, she, has obviously been a huge, uh, you know, piece of this Oregon team this year. Um, I also liked what I saw out of uh, Sedona Prince. I think, you know, she's been coming off the bench uh, recently. And I think that if you can get her, you know, kind of more in a groove, I feel like that's kind of, she was definitely finding her stroke a little bit more yesterday with that nice turnaround jumper that she has in the post. That thing's like unguardable, man. 
when when uh, she gets uh, you know defended because you know she's six seven, so not a whole lot of girls in the Pac twelve that that can match that size. But if you can have someone as dominant as Sabley, who I think honestly is a, is a little stubborn at times in the post, you know she's she gets the ball down low and she's saying I'm gonna shoot this layup, you know what regardless of of, of uh, what I see on defense. But I love her fire and her physicality. Um, but yeah, having Prince come off the bench is just such a tremendous asset, I think, for for Kelly Graves. And I asked him about Sedona uh, after yesterday's game, and he was saying, you know, I've, I feel like I've told you guys a million times, like, if we want to go where this team can get, uh, we need Niara and Sedona playing some of their best basketball. Definitely got to give a shout out to India Rogers. She's just super crafty. I feel like every women's game that I cover, I'm texting you saying, bro, she's such a bucket. Um, so she's she's really fun to watch. Um, that big three of uh, Pow Pow Rogers and Sabley believe can combine for 43 points uh, on Wednesday night. And then Graves said he also made a conscious decision before the game that he wanted to play 12 players. We saw players like Shannon Dufasi, um, Filipina Kai uh, getting more involved. Taylor Hosendove even got uh, on, on the floor as well. So important for the Ducks to, to kind of get everybody involved here as they uh, get ready for the Pac-12 tournament coming up. And then uh, ultimately, when uh, it comes to March Madness, you want to have everybody ready to go. I do want to correct you. It's uh, Filipina Che. Che. Her last che. Name. Oh, yeah. man. I'm sorry. That was, just totally butchered that. I appreciate that. Filipina <laughs> Che. Yeah, it's all good. Um, no, I think those players specifically, Sabali, Prince, and even Che off the bench, I think they're going to be big because Cal's got some really athletic um, you know, bigs down there. Delaya Daniels is 6'3". She can kind of play the guard forward position. Um, you know, she was a she was a player I really liked watching last year um, as a freshman. Michelle Onya off the bench is a really solid player at six three. Um, I pray to I pray I get this name right. Evelyn Luchas Shipholt, I believe, is her name. She's six two. She's a forward, um, super talented. So they were a really really poor team last year. I believe they won one game. We're just getting rocked, and you know it's been a tough go of it in Pac twelve in the Pac twelve slate. But they're still a tough out. They're they're a much better team. They return pretty much everybody, so this is not an easy team to put away. You like that they're um, they're at home for this game, I believe, right? Yep, it's an Eugene. Yeah, so that's that's a big um, plus. But I think the player for Cal you got to watch is Jada Curry. I mean, her last name's Curry, and she wears thirty from the Bay Area, and she can shoot like crazy. She's a really really good shooter. Um, you know, she's a true freshman. She's fantastic. Um, she's kind of been the lead player, lead scorer for. For Cal and I, I wasn't not really expecting her to, to contribute right away and she's been phenomenal um I believe she's in the top five in, in scoring um in the pack 12 let me double check that oh she's number one 19.2 points per game I stand corrected yeah she's doing better than I thought scoring almost 20 a game man yeah she's she's really balling playing some good basketball it sounds like um obviously this game against Cal uh, Graves you know said that he wants to stay focused on on this game against Cal and, and not look too far ahead to Stanford and, and what lies ahead. But maybe that's the, the note we can kind of wrap this one on Dylan. Based on what you've seen from this women's team, you know, we've been talking about it obviously, and then kind of crunching the numbers a bit, looking at some of these games recently. Do you, do you think this team has a good shot at beating Stanford? I mean, that's, you know, top dog really in the PAC 12, them in Arizona are some of the best teams. A couple months ago, I would have said yes. Um, but Stanford is, is starting to route everybody they're playing. Because Stanford got off to a tough start. I mean, writing national champions, they were they were really struggling. Um, you know, which was kind of surprised because it returned so many people. But now they're starting to turn the corner and they're just lighting teams up. I mean, they're shooting lights out, they're defending the heck out of the ball. Um, you know, they're really finding their groove. So 
man, I don't know. Um, it's it's really tough because Stanford is just kind of in this groove that you kind of saw them in late last year when, you know, even though they weren't playing on their home court, they were still beating up everybody. Um, right now, I'd probably say no. I feel like you would need just a really just put together complete performance against a team like that. Offensively, you have to be sound, play fundamental ball. It's hard to defend a team like that. I mean, Cameron Brink is, you know, just been one of the best players. Haley Jones, I think, is unguardable when she's got the ball in transition um, at her size. And she's, in my opinion, one of the top two passers in the country, her and Caitlin Clark. Um, and they're just a team that just plays sound ball. So I, I just don't think they're beatable right now by anybody probably other than Arizona in the Pac-12. You talked about how uh, you know they've been routing teams uh, of late. Just I got their schedule pulled up here just to give people a taste of kind of what that looks like. Uh, the last you know close game that they really played was against Arizona at the end of last month, and and they won seventy five to sixty nine at home in Palo Alto. But so far in February, Dylan, here are the scores: February third, Oregon, or sorry, not Oregon, Stanford against UCLA. Stanford wins seventy six to forty eight. They win 83 to 57 over USC, 82 to 59 over Oregon State, who just beat Oregon um, on on Sunday, um, and then over Utah, 91 to 64, and uh, Colorado uh, on Sunday, February 13th, 63 to 46. So Stanford's got Oregon State in Corvallis before they get here this weekend. Um, so. I mean, I figure if, if you're looking at this from Oregon's perspective, at least, you know, Stanford has to play a pretty tough opponent before they get here to Eugene. But uh, I think I agree. I mean, I'm not I'm not ruling it out completely because I think if this team plays to its full potential and, and gets good contributions from everybody and and, you know, locks in a little bit more, I think they can keep it close. But uh, and maybe even win it. But I think it's definitely a bit of a long shot right now. Well, playing at home is huge because, you know, last year, Oregon. Um, they did play a really tight game at Matthew Knight Arena. And I felt like that team was a bit further away from beating a team like that because you saw Oregon last year, just a really young team. It just didn't feel like they were ready for that stage to play against those championship caliber teams. And then they went into the Bay Area. They played, you know, the score might not say it, but I think they played a really solid game against Stanford earlier in the year. Um, but Stanford, I mean, they're just the best team in, in the Pac-12. I know Arizona's up there too, but when you put two and two together and you look at what Stanford has done um, this season, just they're outscoring teams by 17 points a game. I mean, that's just crazy. They're number two in scoring. Um, you know, they're the number one team in field goal percentage offensively and defensively. They only allow sh- teams to shoot 35%. Um, and the teams that you were just listing off that they were beating, maybe aside from USC, those are pretty good teams. I mean, UCLA is a, a pretty good team. Oregon State's a good team. Utah yeah. is a lot better, and they absolutely rocked them. Colorado's a good team. So Stanford's just on another level, reigning national champions, loaded with future WNBA talent. I feel like this is as good a shot as they've had since Sabrina was on the team. When you know Stanford came to town, it was a national televised game, um, and they just lit them up. Sabrina had 37. I feel like this is their best chance since then. I don't think they're going to do what that Oregon team did, but – I feel like they have a good chance. I just don't – I don't know if they're ready yet, but I, I hope I'm proven wrong because it would be a massive, massive win for Oregon and a big shift at the top of the Pac-12. So we just talked about a bunch of hoops action for the Ducks coming up. We'll have uh, Graham Metzger covering the Arizona State game tonight, so definitely follow him for some updates there. And then we have uh, Billy Spots going out to 
the Cal game tomorrow night. And then Graham and I will be in Eugene at a Matthew Knight for Stanford and Oregon on Sunday. But uh, before we get out of here, Dylan, is there any any other notes you kind of wanted to add? I know we're a little bit longer than uh, we had planned, so apologies for that, my guy. But um, what, what uh, anything else you wanted to add before we bounce? No, I just I like how this women's team is kind of coming into form. I guess if I could, um, you know, wrap up with the women's section, I, I like that. Um, you know, it feels like they're starting to extend their rotation a bit. Like you talked about playing twelve players, and it's funny because Kelly Graves, long before the season started, said, you know, I feel like we should have kind of a shorter roster a little bit because of the last season just felt like some players weren't happy with their roles. He saw players transfer. It just seemed like he was playing um, too many people. And he admitted that, um, you know, at the end of last season, and now you're starting to see him stretch it out, which is, I like that it's happening now just because, you know, you're in mid February, you kind of know what, what you've got at this point, you know, you're starting to get healthy. You're playing the best teams in the PAC 12 coming up this weekend, maybe not Cal, but Stanford, um, so I feel like you need everybody on deck to to beat teams like that and to round into March and get where you want to go. All right. Yeah, a lot of, lot of uh, good insight from, from Dylan there on the, the women's team and kind of where they're at right now. Um, that's all we have for you guys on this episode of the podcast. Thanks for uh, sticking around and uh, hanging in there with us as we try out something new. Hopefully you guys like this kind of new format of, of the podcast, um, you know, kind of with various news headlines uh, all around the Ducks and the Pac-12. Uh, so it's definitely been really fun. Um, Dylan, where can people find more of you on, on the socials and all that? Definitely want to give you a chance to plug that. Try not to sneeze right now. I have a I have an air freshener right there. And I've, I've been I just got a whiff of it. Try not to sneeze um, on camera. So I muted myself for a second. Um, you can find me on Twitter at DRK Sports News. I'm tweeting about um, you know Oregon football and recruiting and a little bit of basketball here and there. Um, you can find my work on Ducks Digest, find my work on the Transfer Portal. We added a ton of new people, so go check out their work at TPortalCFB on Twitter. Uh, they just launched a Instagram as well, so go follow us over there. I believe it's at uh, TPortalCFB as well. All right, there you have it there. If you guys want to follow me, find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter at mtorussports. Uh, if you want to find more Oregon Ducks content, you already know where you got to head over. Stay here on the YouTube channel or check out some of the other episodes of the Ducks Dish podcast. Go ahead, give us a five-star review. We really appreciate that. But uh, DucksDigest.com is definitely where you want to go for the written content. We are at Ducks Digest on all the other social platforms. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We also have a free daily newsletter, the Ducks Digest newsletter. So if you go over my Twitter profile, you can find that right there and, and sign up for free so um yeah don't want to ramble on too much guys thank you so much for tuning in to this latest episode of the ducks Dish podcast shout out to rube for joining us today and we will see you guys on the next episode take care